Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by State Farm. Look, as you guys know, I tend to give it to you straight. And while I know a lot of things, I also know there are times when I need to lean on others for help. When it comes to insurance, State Farm is the one I count on. I love that they make insurance easy. You can monitor your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim with their app, which was just awarded Best Insurance Mobile App of 2019. And thanks to their network of 19,000 agents, you'll have someone local to walk you through options and help you choose a policy that truly meets your needs versus cookie-cutter coverage. But what I appreciate most is that they don't mess around. They don't bother with gimmicks or games, just helpful guidance you can rely on. Go out and get the insurance you deserve. Get State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get a quote or find an agent at statefarm.com. Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Thanks to Yola Tango, as always. Um, you know, we've continued to tweak and toy around with this podcast format ever since quarantine began. We've done Dads. We've done Too Small to Fail. We've done Bad Movie Club. And um, we just felt that it would be inappropriate to not talk about what will be certainly one of the most historical events of our lifetimes in American history and quite possibly overshadow COVID-19. And I think rightfully so with the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the list goes on and on and on. Names that you don't even know, but you know that it's happened to. The protests, I think, are justified. And... The outrage is justified, and I think this is an opportunity for change. And, you know, I I think from an Asian-American perspective, it's been interesting. I don't think interesting is the right word, but this is why I wanted to talk to two people I talk to on a regular basis. You know, Isaac Lee, our producer, with a smooth, smooth, silky voice. (laughs) And Chris Yang, my partner in crime in all things media. And... I kept on thinking, what what could I do to help besides donate to a variety of funds, whether it's the bail project, uh, the Alliance Reform, or there's no shortage of absolutely important, worthy causes. But besides that, and unfortunately, like, and I'm, I want to protest, but I have, there's two people that I'm living with right now that have underlying health issues, and how can I support in other ways? And I thought the most pragmatic way would be to make sure that there's solidarity in the Asian community. And let me preface that there is no monolithic community of Asian people. It is as diverse as any other group of people with, I don't even know how many countries make up Asian people. And I can't even speak really on behalf of Korean people because Korean people don't want me to speak on behalf of Korean people. But I think I, I have a pretty good understanding. And there are a lot of parents that have immigrated here in the 60s, 70s, and 80s that have very differing views than their children of how the world works, particularly in America. You know, Isaac basically was born around the times of the Rodney King riots in LA. And the Korean yeah. community obviously has very... You know, it's certainly improved, thank God, in terms of the relationship with the African-American community in L.A., but it certainly was strained for a long time. And in general, 
How would you describe the older generation's viewpoints on, on black culture? Um, I can speak from a local level because you brought up Los Angeles. You brought up Rodney King. While, as you said, there has been a lot of restoration and reconciliation and rectification from what happened in 1992, I would say that an older generation of at least Korean Americans in Los Angeles, I can't speak for any other Asian American community, but a lot of them feel like they were caught in the crossfire of a fight that was not theirs. And there is a certain camp within at least the Korean American population here in Los Angeles that feels like it is horrible what's happening to black people, but they did shit to us. And that's what they're holding on to because that's so much more personal to them. But that's not the only sort of, I think, bias and ignorant perspective. I think that, again, I hate to generalize an Asian perspective. But yeah. Chris, would you agree that a lot of immigrants that are Asian have, uh, and again, I, I hate having to be so reductive in that, but really lean conservative? Yes, on a spectrum, but it's mixed up with the same model minority thing. Mm -hmm. It's mixed up with this idea. Can you, can you explain the model minority yeah. to people that are like, I've always heard it, but I don't really understand it. So the model minority is one who <laughs> keeps their head down, who doesn't make waves, who really takes discrimination in stride and just says, well, that's the price I pay for being in somebody else's country. I'm not going to cause any trouble. And it's generally associated with Asian Americans. And I don't think it's separate from what we're talking about now. Or, and I don't necessarily think it's separate from things we've talked about this podcast many times. Dave talks about Confucianism and sort of respect for elders and respect for the system and, and just abiding by the rules. And, and all of that is tied up. And, and it also has to do with fear. It has to do with fear of what can happen to you if you speak up too much. What could be taken away from you because it's been taken away before. You know, and it's pervasive. I, I think that we're going to constantly say this throughout this podcast. Like, I don't want to speak for the whole Asian population, but I will speak for the people I know and have interacted with. And yeah, it, conservatism has to do with that. It has to do with fear of losing what you've got. And it has to do with abiding by the rules. But And fitting in. Right? Fitting yes. in. You want to exactly. fit in with white America. You want to make sure that you have all the opportunities that you came to this country that you see successful white America has and you don't want to rock the boat and it's about fitting in and I think that has been incredibly problematic and the reason I wanted to talk about this right off the bat because this moment isn't about Asian people let's, let's just make that very clear yes. the reason I'm talking about it is we can't really have solidarity if everyone doesn't understand what the hell's happening Mm -hmm. And there's too many people that I know of, particularly relatives or the older Asian community, Korean and American community that, you know, my parents often have in their circles that they don't really know. They don't, it's not they don't really agree. They don't really know what's happening. They make these confirmation bias types of assumptions. Or secondly, their news source is like a bastard translation you know, things get lost in translation. There's the nuance, the subtleties that oftentimes I know for the three of us have had problems when we need to talk to our parents because of the generational gap and it's the cultural gap. So how do you explain things? And I, I was like, holy shit, like 
if we can't do this, well, who else is going to explain this? <laughs> that was it, man. Like, we need to make sure that we are all on the same page here. And that starts within our own families and having these hard conversations. Yeah, I think a couple of things that you said really rung true to me. The whole fitting in, assimilating to white America. It's a survivalist mechanism, right? The model minority thing is, whether it's conscious or not, it is, let's not fuck up our money. It's, mm. we came to this country, let's try to fit in with the people who have the power. The hegemony of America, which is white America, which is white people. And what that leads to a lot of the times is basically apathy towards what is active racism that exists in our country today. And it's also a class divide. You know, according to the U.S. Census in 2017, Asian people have the highest median household income in this country by a lot, which is more than twice the median household income of Black people. And that's what we're talking about here is that we have intentionally assimilated into a white society. I mean, we have to kind of examine, we have to kind of interrogate the fact that most Asian Americans have a white American accent. That's because we have assimilated with white society. So let's start from there. Let's start acknowledging that we have done that. That's, I think, the bias that a lot of Asian Americans come from is that we have surrounded ourselves with white people and have kind of neglected understanding other minority communities, namely the black community. Yeah, well, look, I, the, the truth is like I didn't, I never grew up around black people. I didn't grow up around any black people. There was one black kid in my middle school and I watched him get relentlessly made fun of and I stood by and didn't do anything about it. And I, I have a lot of guilt associated with that. But like the truth is I, did, I, was, I had no exposure to black people until college. My parents didn't have any black friends. It starts there. It just starts with not having that experience. Like I, I'm not going to pretend that like I spend most of my days hanging out with black people. Like I, I have a limited number of black friends now. Like it's not, you know, luckily I, I work in food media where I get to encounter a, a much broader range of people than I did growing up. But like, I think I want to just speak very frankly about my own experience. And, and that is like, I just didn't have that exposure. My parents had even less of it. And their perspective is informed very differently from ours. And I think that's really important that we have these conversations with them, but we have to just sort of remember how hard it is to empathize with a group that you have no contact with. Hmm. But we need everybody to see this, right? And this is the giant delta between what we need them to know and what they want to know. Of course. Look, it's interesting, right? Because the three of us are maybe not <laughs> the ideal group because we all have had ambitions to be heard. Mm -hmm. We all, in our own ways, we've wanted to be out there. Dave is very out there. <laughs> but I don't think, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, but like, I don't think that the previous generation, our parents have any desire to stick out. They don't want to stick their necks out there. I'm just talking about the model minority thing again. But that's not, that's not that parents' generation. That's the Asian culture too. Yeah, I think that's pervasive over, across generations. I think even now the prevailing attitude of Asian Americans, I can speak for my generation. Generally speaking, I'm an aberration. Like I'm very outspoken, but I'm the aberration. I'm the exception to the rule a lot of times. And that kind of needs to change, especially as it pertains to very important issues like this, like police brutality against black people. Like we should be at the forefront of this. We should be allying. You know, I was at the protest on Saturday 
in Mid-City in Los Angeles. And I saw a bunch of Asian people and that gave me a lot of hope. But Asian people make up about 10-11% of the population in Los Angeles. I don't think we were 10% of the crowd that was out there marching. And we can do better. We can do better as Asian Americans. I can imagine if you're listening to this right now, it's like, this isn't a podcast. This is just a conversation. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think there's anything you can talk about right now other than what's happening. I think it's so important that we need to have an honest conversation with my friends that I work with about how we can change the perspectives and shift the alignment. So old generation to mid-generation to the newest generation are all on the same page because the reason you're here and you have the civil liberties that you do have is simply because black people had to go through slavery. They've had to endure the most awful of atrocities. Jim Crow, segregation, now voter suppression, everything is wrong and built against black people, yet somehow Asian people have benefited from it. Right. And I can see a lot of Asian people being like, that's not our problem. Well, it is your problem because I don't think it's right for you to benefit and to not have any issues. Right. Because someone else is carrying the burden. And I wanted to share something because there was the artist. I reposted her art and her name is Money Chow. And it's a picture of two tigers and what could be a symbol of Tao. Yellow peril supports black power. And I had uh, been familiar with the idea of yellow peril, not in the, the way that the Western world has characterize sort of the Asian immigration and the fear of Asian people and the yellow, yellowness of it all, right? It it is a derogatory term, 100%. But it's not just about reclaiming it. It's like, okay, this is who we are. And this is like, that's how you see us. And we're going to change that perspective. And that's how I've always seen it, particularly in the 1960s when you had the beginnings of the Asian American student associations that really started in California, aligning themselves with black power movement that changed whether you were for or against it so much of how we have a lot of our liberties today because they were radical in communicating these messages and the idea of saying we support black power i think can offend people particularly if you say yellow peril like when i posted that people were like that's so derogatory to asian people i'm like well I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but I, I want you to like sort of carry that burden a little bit, right? Like this is how they've seen us and it's an opportunity to change that perspective. But we can only change that perspective if we know what sort of came before us. And there's a great article written by Jeffrey Ogbar and it's uh, from Columbia University and you can re- find it online. And there's a line in it where it says, Our black brothers and sisters were the first to cry out and protest in the civil rights movement and were the first to make radical transformations to society. Out of this grew the Asian student movement. And without the Asian student movement, we don't have really interactions with how Asians feel so comfortable today. We don't have Asian neighborhoods. Like So much of what we had was born out of black power and the civil rights. Yeah. And I just, to me, it's like, hey, like if you can't fucking get behind that, then we can't jive anymore, man. You can't do this. And you nailed it, Isaac. We have so much apathy 
it's not happening to us, so I don't care. Or it's like, hey, I don't want you to follow any other example than being the model minority. And I think I'm just tired of it because we shouldn't have to explain to people that this is what you should believe in and this is why you should be protesting and this is why you should be donating to many, many, many worthy causes. And I just want to have a conversation right now saying, I'm not disappointed. I understand the situation, but we need to start having these hard talks with our friends and with our parents because we can't have a section or portion of Asian American society being like, I'm in disagreement here. Mm -hmm. So that is the goal. And I think we should talk a little bit about methodology. I think, I think what you're pointing to Chang is, is a very powerful method to say, Hey, whatever rights we have, whatever we think that we've got here, this thing that we're clinging to and, and keeping our heads in the sand so that we don't lose, we got because of the road paved by black Americans. And it was paved in blood and sweat and, and a lot of tears. And, and we, owe, we owe them our support now. It's the right thing to do. The other thing though, so I want to talk about practicality here too, because I, I remember reading this article back when there was a lot of debate about Trump's stupid border wall and Muslim ban and all of that stuff. And I, I remember reading an article that said, why can conservatives and liberals never convince one another of anything? Why did none of these debates go anywhere? And it goes to this very simple debate tactic, which is that if you're trying to convince somebody on the other side of something, and I'm not saying that like, you know, our parents or our friends are on the other side, but if you're trying to convince somebody of your viewpoint, Oftentimes, we speak to our own priorities. We speak to what, how we view the situation, why it's important to us, but we don't speak to the priorities of the person we're trying to convince. You can't convince somebody to do something based on what's important to you. So what's important to our prior generation that's more conservative? You know, I think that the conversation we have to have is, yes, it's historical and it's important that we, we honor. But the other thing we have to say is... I know mom and dad, I know friends that you want to go back to just a quiet life. That will not happen until we are aligned on this. <laughs> like the things that you want can only be achieved this way now. You think that like this will all be over if we just put our heads in the sand? No, because the more we give, the more we give to racism and systemic oppression, the more that they take. And they will come for us and they will come for you. And if for no other reason than that selfish reason, you have to be on this side. If, if you want to reduce it to that, just like, how does this benefit me? This benefits you. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I guess like we would want people to act in an altruistic way with a very selfless motive of, here's an injustice that is happening. We are aware of it. Therefore, we will speak out and take action. But Ying, I think you're right on a practical level the most effective way, unfortunately, that we might have to go about this, and probably a lot of us probably are going about this this way, is to be like, hey, this benefits us if we do speak up. Well, I, to me, I, I guess I'm thinking on a different planet here, obviously. I, I'm trying to get people to have that fucking shitty conversation that you need to have with your parents where it's like, you're in or you're out. You ever want to see me again? You ever want to talk to me again? You ever want to see my son ever again? then you're better fucking listen. And you better take this seriously. Because don't give me that 
the patented like, oh, no, no, I, I get it, I get it. You know, like, oh, I understand. Right. It's like, no, 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 no. This is, oh, we're not falling for any of your tricks. Like, you, you have to demonstrate. You know what? Hey, take out your checkbooks. Yeah. And write a fucking giant fucking donation to this charity or that charity or this organization. Whether you believe it or not, you're going to feel it in the pocketbook. And that's what's got to happen. I think all of us, the model minority sort of culture that we've brought up, you have to rebel against it. And you got to let your parents know this is not a generational thing. This is about being a good human, about understanding that, hey, mom and dad, you have to understand why Black Lives Matter. You have to understand that these protests are absolutely necessary. You have to understand that just because I'm Asian, I already have better things, more doors open to me than if we were born black. If they can't empathize, they've lived in this country long enough. There's no excuse. And it's not an easy conversation to have. No, it's not. And it's interesting that you would say something like, if you want to see your grandson again, if you want to see me again, you've got to be on the side. You know, when I, I had this conversation and I, and I want to talk to you guys about the conversations you have been having, but I've had a lot of conversations in the past 10 days with my parents, with my mom and dad. And I mean, frankly, they didn't need a, it's funny. My, my parents have gone through an amazing, amazing transformation since Trump was elected. <laughs> like lifelong Republicans, they are so angry right now. And, but I had the conversation with my mom and I said, because the kid thing is very important to Asian parents. I said to them, not about my kids. Well, well, I did say about my kids. I said, I can't imagine what it would feel like if Ruby and Keith were black and every time they left the house, I would be afraid that they wouldn't come back. I can't imagine what it would be like if my son, because he was wearing a hoodie, could be shot down in the street. Like, I, Can you imagine that, mom? And... It resonated with her. And, and there's 13% of our population right now who lives with that every single day. It's not a hypothetical for them. And that's, that's the most fucked up thing. Yeah, I guess the conversations that I've been having, I mean, my parents are amazingly very much on board. I called them on Saturday after I came back actually from the protests. And they were like, hey, we saw on the news, like, were you out there? And I was like, yeah, I was out there. And they were like, good. You better be out there. And I was surprised because I didn't think my parents would actually respond like that. What did you think their response was going to be? That like I was being irresponsible or I was being rash or whatever. But no, they, they absolutely understood. And I guess I've also talked with my parents over the last six, seven years about being allies to the black community. It's like a continuing conversation I've had with them. And what appealed, I guess, the most to my parents was the religious angle. Because they're both very like hardcore Christians. And, you know, I just brought up, hey, like racism is a sin. Slavery was a very sinful act that was committed in this country. And the effects of which still continue on to this day. And they, they got it. Dave, what have you been... Have you had these conversations with your parents? Have you been having these conversations? Well, my dad's really sick right now, so I couldn't give him the the verbal aggression <laughs> that it was <laughs> that it was going to be. Um, you know, I talked to my mom. She didn't really respond, but because my Korean's so 
fucking bad. It's me speaking in English and her responding in Korean. And she was like, I get it. I get it. But she always says, I get it. Yes. But this time I could see. She gets it. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of tools right now, I think, that can help Asian Americans have these conversations with your parents. You just have to look online. And for me, uh, the best way I can describe this is like, it's so important to me right now to have my parents who are in their late 70s to see what's happening because they came to this country at its worst moments too. Mm -hmm. And I want them to see that, hey, mom, dad, it hasn't changed that much. As much as we think that we have, it hasn't changed that much. And it hasn't changed that much because we haven't had these conversations. Yeah. Well, I think... I, I talked to some other friends who were having these conversations with their parents and, and, and a line you often get back from your parents is, you know, especially parents who have, are, are immigrants, you hear, yeah, but what, nobody's talking about what Chinese people went through or what Mexican people went through and all of this comparative oh suffering. I'm, listen, if we're going to win this, we got to win these people over, right? So I know it's easy just to roll your eyes, but that's the truth of what you're going to hear back from a lot of people. And I think strategically, it's just got to be like, I know, mom and dad, like what you went through. And the fact is that things haven't changed for others. It's still happening. And you can help lift other people up. And what we're trying to explain to these people who are not on our side is in a lot of ways upending their fundamental belief that America is good, that the police are good, that the system is right, that anybody who is being arrested by the police has done something wrong. Anybody who's being killed in the street probably was asking for it in some way like we were upending their fundamental reality and you've got to explain to people that america's not this complete idea it's not done yeah you know we didn't move to this country because it was done we were supposed to move to this country because it's it's always being built and we have the power now to continue to build a better country yeah. it's the melting pot not the molten pot Exactly. It's still melting. Exactly. It's continually being made. New additions are being added to it. And we can do better. I know nobody wants to deal with the people who aren't on our side. And Chang, I'm with you, man. I'm, I hear you when you say, like, if you can't get behind this, fuck you. Like, I'm with you. But, like, wars are won with coalitions of people from across the spectrum. Which is why I wanted this conversation because, like, this is like a video game. Like, Isaac is, like, the person, like, if it's, like, I don't know, so I don't even play video games. I just imagine like you choose your character. Isaac's the person that like shoots from far fucking away. I'm the dumbass <laughs> that just is slow, but <laughs> and, and and you're sort of uh. the, the multi-purpose player. You can do a little bit of everything. And and uh, you know, obviously, I I have a, a short fuse, and I think actually the best way is all of these things need to be presented because we're not a monolith. And the only thing that we need to do is to shake up the idea of what a model minority is supposed to be. And the only reason why you can be a good standing citizen, student, whatever, Asian American, is because black culture allowed it to be so. Before we go on, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Masterclass. Masterclass lets you learn from the best with exclusive access to online classes taught by masters of the craft. You can learn filmmaking by the great Martin Scorsese. You can learn FBI hostage negotiations. Cooking, obviously, is the my, my forte, and they have like 
some of the best chefs in the world. You can have Gabriel Camaro from Mexico. You have Massimo Ventura. You have Thomas Kelly, Gordon Ramsay. You can learn about California cuisine from Alice Waters. And really, my favorite is Aaron Franklin. And again, what I love most about Masterclass is that you can sort of watch on your own schedule. And it's been amazing during quarantine because it's like the kind of TV that I want, educational, that also makes me sort of a better, more well-rounded person. And with over 75 different instructors across tons of categories, there's literally something for everyone. The Masterclass app is accessible on your phone, web, Apple TV, or Amazon Fire TV. Each class is broken out into individual video lessons and downloadable materials, all of which you can explore at your own pace. Lessons are about 10 to 15 minutes in length, so they can fit into your busy schedule. Hundreds of video lessons from over 75 of today's most brilliant minds are available anytime, anywhere for just $180 a year with that all access pass. I highly recommend you check it out. That's an amazing deal once you figure out how much knowledge is on Masterclass from the very, very best minds. Get unlimited access to every Masterclass, and as a Day Change Show listener, you get 15% off the annual all-access pass. Go to masterclass.com slash Chang. That's masterclass.com slash Chang, C-H-A-N-G, for 15% off Masterclass. I just want to paint a picture for people, particularly because I can speak a little bit better about being Korean-American. I think that, would you agree, Isaac, that most people that are Korean-American, regardless of your age, tend to sort of skew in, should we be doing this? Uh, yeah, it's hesitancy. I think there's a lot of Korean-Americans who are are not necessarily thinking of themselves as the people who should be acting or on the front lines. And... Maybe that's also another conversation we should be having with people who are, in fact, on quote-unquote our side, but are either hesitant or too afraid to do something about it. Like, it pains me that, like, I, I think for many years, and I think even now, a lot of Asian Americans, we're not a monolith, but a lot of Asian Americans tend to think of ourselves as extras in a movie. If the narrative of America is a film and the main characters are white people and black people and Latino people, we're like the extras. And we're like in the background. We're like set dressing. I think a lot of us tend to think of ourselves that way. Instead of what it is in this situation is we're, we're witnesses to a crime. And witnesses to a crime have an obligation, whether it's beneficial to you or not, we have an obligation to be on the stand and testify. And... We can't be passive. Like being passive right now is just being a spoke on the wheel and letting things continue as they are instead of actually bringing change. We have this opportunity now. There's this momentum, right? So many people are protesting across the world, not just America, across the world. We have, there's this momentum. There's an opportunity for us to participate, make our voices heard in support of Black Lives Matter. We have this opportunity. So... That's also a hurdle that we should probably try to jump is the hesitancy. Is thinking ourselves as it's not our place to speak out. Oh, because I'm not black. Or oh, because I'm not white. I'm not white, so I don't have to feel guilty. Or I'm not black, so I don't have to speak out. Like those mindsets are also equally as dangerous, I believe. Because either way, it results in inaction. Yeah. That witness to a crime analogy is amazing. That's, that's exactly what we are. 
Ying and I both are like, oh, shit, that was fucking good. <laughs> no, it was very good. I saw Chang's eyes light up. But now, Isaac, is that yours? That was very, very good. Yeah, that's me. You read that in the Atlantic, right? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> but, I mean, I appreciate you guys. No, that's beautiful, man. We, we are witnesses to a crime, and we, we need to say something here. And it will make a difference. Listen, and if you've been sort of like perplexed as to, again, why we're even talking this way, I think it was one thing we could do, having a platform, knowing that Mm -hmm. we know a lot of Asian Americans listen to this podcast and we have a platform. And the one thing I can do right now is to shore up our home base. And I don't know how... See, Ooh. even Siri doesn't know. <laughs> but and, and, and that's why, right? Like, this is a very specific conversation. But I think you can extrapolate it. It's not just for Asian Americans. It's for any immigrants that are trying to blend into American culture and understand that American culture was based and built on the suffering of, of black people. Like, this is the same way when, like, when I go to a restaurant or when I make a menu and I know that I'm taking something from somewhere, I have to give them credit. Mm, yeah. I have to. I have to footnote it. I can't just take something and not give credit. That, to me, is fundamentally wrong. Mm-hmm. And this is about acknowledging that I am able to be as loud and as obnoxious as I am. I have the ability to rebel against being a model minority because… Black people paved the way for that to happen. And yeah. I think we need to tone down being self-interested and selfish. And it's not just, again, for Asian Americans. It's for anyone that's an immigrant. And understand, like, the initial reaction is, what about me? Someone just called me a chink. Someone just called me some other derogatory term. Hmm. And that can hurt. I know that. But the reality is this. If we can't support them and make sure that we got their back... They're going to get our backs when something bad happens to us. They have, historically. And they have, historically. They have. And look, everybody has their their suffering. Everybody has their pain. But like you're saying, Dave, like that pain should not and does not prevent me from helping somebody else in their time of pain. Right. Being called the chink, it hurts. But you know what will make it feel better? Helping somebody else who's going through the same and worse. We can't let our self-interest stop us from realizing that we still have the power to, to help other people. Let's just put this into perspective too. Like on this podcast, you've heard me complain ad nauseum. Oh, kimchi. And it smells <laughs> and people made fun of me. You know how like not even trivial. It doesn't even fucking rank on being trivial compared to I'm getting pulled over by the cops. I've done nothing wrong. And I'm afraid. Like, there's trauma. And trauma can come in different forms. And obviously, I've experienced a lot of trauma. And that's a totally valid thing. But I'm not worried about my life in a specific moment. Mm. And again, like, I just feel like we we need to really dwell in these situations and really empathize. And and that's all. It's like having a conversation. And as aggressive as I can be in these talks… And as frustrated as I can be, all I want, all I want is for people to think outside themselves and to be like, hey, I didn't see that perspective. Yeah. Just to add to that, I think emphasis is pretty important. Like, 
Salience and silence is an anthropological concept, right? If you put salience on something, then you are silencing other things. That's how power works. And so if we put salience on our… Are you working on, on dissertation? Our- <laughs> You're not telling Chris and I? What the hell, good, good, no. Great point. <laughs> no, Jesus. but like if, if we put salience on our oppression, then we are, by doing that, silencing other people's oppression. If we're drawing attention to ourselves, then by that we are subtracting attention from other things that are the more important things. And so that's the issue with the what about us. That's the issue with that mentality is that like you might think that it's banal or unimportant that you're drawing attention to yourself, but actually that is subtractive inherently because discourse is limited. If you're going to spend 10 minutes talking about how Asian Americans have been mistreated, those are 10 minutes that you're not talking about and you're drawing attention away from the way that black Americans are treated. So that's something that we need to think about. The way I see it is, look, black people's suffering and and the systemic oppression and and violence toward them does not invalidate your own suffering, does not invalidate what your family went through. It does not take away from you in any way it doesn't take away… I mean, Chang is, is sort of self-effacing and saying like, oh, my kimchi complaints, wham, wham, wham. But like, if the truth is it doesn't. It doesn't invalidate that pain. Mm-hmm. What it should do, what your pain and the things you've experienced should do is give you a better basis for empathy. To be able to say, wow, I felt fucking horrible when I got made fun of and emasculated and, and teased about this or that or the other thing. God, I can only imagine what it must feel like for you. Like, that's what it should do. Rather than, like, redirecting it to yourself, like you're saying, Isaac, like, look, we, we get it. It doesn't invalidate you, but it should, it should arm you. Think about this. Would you agree that, you know, at the onset of COVID-19, once people started taking it seriously and people realized it came from Wuhan and they were like, oh, it came from a wet market. And then it turned into this you're Asian, you have it, get the fuck away from me mentality. And there were random acts of violence against Asian people throughout America. Would you agree that that created a sense of solidarity amongst Asian people? Amongst East Asian people, for sure, yeah. And you could talk about it. I certainly did. And and, yeah. and, and here's another thing. is like, I, I did experience this, like, uh, where, where I was staying. I was like, oh my God, like, I'm not in New York City. I'm in the middle of fucking nowhere. And uh, my wife and I, feel like everywhere we're going in this corner of the store, people are watching us to make sure that we don't get even fucking remotely close to them. And I'm like, well, think about that, is that people are trying to avoid us. If I was black, people are making sure that I'm not going to steal anything. I'm not going to do anything illegal. And I'm just like, man, this is just because there was this fucking coronavirus. This happens every fucking day. And that's what I kept on thinking when this all happened. I was like, man, I never experienced what that feels like to have your eyes on you in a way that is like uh, not even not nice, just wrong. Yeah. And I think we should just try to find these moments that are well-documented. I think just be in their shoes and be like, man, I, I didn't see it that way before. And find ways to communicate that and be transparent with other people. And I'm not saying we're going to have 100% fucking solidarity, but whatever it is right now, it needs to be a hell of a lot better. And we need to find ways to express that to one another before we try to tell anyone else outside of our families to start, you know? Mm -hmm. 
it's like uh, this is a random ass thing, but there was this fishing tournament I'm in. <laughs> I, I I try to do it's the one fly in Wyoming, and man, I like all these weird fucking white sports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the whole goal is like you know you don't worry about the scoreboard. You just have to beat the person in your boat. I still think the same way. It's like don't worry right now about everything else that's happening. Worry about what you can control in your own family, your own small circle first. Yeah. And that's all I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say the importance isn't out there in the world. It's like by like literally controlling and owning local, it's like working on a global level too. Yeah. I think that's a great point, Chang, because we've talked about this a lot. Like these problems can feel impossible. Achieving this world we want seems out of our reach. You know, we talked about this for the past couple of months in the context of the of the restaurant world, but now it's about this country we live in. And it's easy to just throw your hands up and say, whatever, I want to go back to February 2020. Now I want to go back to two weeks ago when this wasn't happening. Whatever it is, it's not going to happen. And we need to walk, go forward. And it starts with a, a baby step. It starts with conversation with your friends, with your parents, with your brothers and sisters, and making sure that you, not only your idea is heard, but that you are recruiting again like i hate to make this analogy and yet i'll do it one more time like we're in a war and we need to draft more soldiers like we need we need people on our side in this fight you know when my dad i swear it seems like an apocryphal story but i think growing up he would always tell me he's like i was at the martin luther king 1963 i have a dream speech in washington dc i'm like no, man, that, I don't know about that. that. That's some Forrest Gump shit right there. I, I, you can't just place yourself there because you said you're there, you know. But, man, like, think about it. Like, Asian people have been in America since the 1850s. And even as long as that was, guess what? As poorly as Chinese people were treated, it was a lot better than being black in America. Yeah. It's wild to think about. Can I ask you guys this a slightly off-topic thing? How much have you two personally asked your parents, or, or, or like, how familiar are you with the your your parents' personal histories? Have you asked the question? Have you sat down and talked to them about like their whole life stories? Do you have all of that? Uh, yeah, I can. I have a pretty good understanding. I don't know what you're asking asking there, though, Chris. With that. No, that's all I'm asking. I'm just I, 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 as I think about as I think about the the broader problem here of of not understanding our our collective history i i realized my shortcomings is you know i'm always looking forward and i don't know where my parents met fuck my mom was married before i don't know anything about her her first husband i don't know his fucking name i don't know anything mm-hmm. like i i just got to be better in that regards i mean i know chang i know that like you've you've got a pretty good grasp but i also know your sister is the one who is like the real keeper of the family history yeah. right there are moments of my my family's history that you just don't talk about Ever. And my sister had to prepare my mom's side of the family. And I was like, I knew this story, but I never followed up on it because I knew it was too hard to bear. My mom had four brothers and sisters, and she was the second to the youngest in the middle. And the older brother died at the age of 12 in a mash tent. And I was like, what would that do? They lost everything. They lost their beautiful castle that they lived in. And the Korean War robbed them of almost everything. And robbed them of a son. And I was like, fuck, man. I hate to think that I forgot that 
all that trauma actually happened. And then they came to this country and like they started anew. And I think about that because it's like, this is why it's a cubist perspective, man. You can't just say someone's right or someone's wrong because in a situation, anything's right in the sense that they come to this country, they want to forget the past, they want to start anew and they want to fit in. So as much as I want to be like, what the fuck, mom and dad? Like they've earned the trauma to try and fit in. It's hard, man. It's really hard to justify the past. And my dad, I literally just found out, my dad had a fucking, the oldest sister decided not to fucking leave North Korea. <laughs> you know, it's like, what the fuck? That's so crazy to me. Anyway, I don't, it's not about the chain genealogy, but I was just simply saying, it's like, I have to remind myself that I underestimate the trauma, the real fucking trauma <laughs> that our parents had to go through. Yeah. You know, I think the point is not, I'm not trying to draw attention away from the conversation we're having or or the real work that has to be done here. But I do think that they're related. I think you've got to practice empathy in all ways. You've got to practice, like Chang is talking about, and I mean, not just like sitting in your room and staring at the wall and thinking about other people. I mean, like talking to other people about what they've gone through. Talking to your own parents to understand these things, these sore subjects, because otherwise they're forgotten. And that's what's happening in, in our country right now is, is the trauma, the, the real horrifying, atrocious, unfathomable trauma that we as a country inflicted on our own people, that we should all share the pain of now is being forgotten. And that's my point here is, is just, I know right now we need to focus on Black Lives Matter, but as a holistic approach, I'm just trying to be better about knowing where people come from, understanding where people come from, understanding the things like Chang just said that shape their worldviews now. And again, I'm not trying to pull away from the conversation, but talking to your parents is a, is, is a good place to start. It's a good place for practice. At what point can you lose your temper when some Asian person says all lives matter? Immediately. Uh, immediately. I mean, I, <laughs> right away. Immediately. Okay. Immediately. Right. I just wanted if, to make yeah. sure. Fuck immediately. <laughs> I've, I've yelled at too many people over Zoom this week for me to say otherwise. Yeah. that's You can still immediately lose your fucking shit on that. Like, I'm, I'm only practicing uh, civility in certain instances. That's all. I just wanted to know that we're all on the same page. Here. <laughs> yeah. You have immediate, uh, immediate disqualification. <laughs> um. But yeah, I, you know, speaking of conversations, you know, I, I've, I've, Dave and I have had a lot over the last week, both for this podcast and otherwise, and and I and I keep on coming back to just like I do appreciate being able to to talk to you and 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 Isaac here, and we got nothing better to do is talk to people. <laughs> That's all we can be yeah, doing and, right and that, now. That, 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 listen, it, this is a conversation, and and just want to preface it. It's like we're just trying to do our part, and it's not about speaking on behalf of anyone else. You know, this is like what my personal opinion that I can do, that I think we need to have solidarity on the Asian community behind the black community as a whole, because this is, you know, it's crazy. This is, in my opinion, going to overshadow COVID-19, which just shut down the, the country for three months. And this is a perfect storm because we have an imbecile as a president, a racist, mm -hmm. horrible motherfucker that won't even address it. All he fucking has to do is say, I support Black Lives Matter. Guess what? I can't even imagine what's going to happen. Hey, please stop this shit. You know what I mean? So we're living in this crazy, crazy time. And I, I just wanted to have a free-flowing conversation. 
because this is the kind of conversation I feel like we should be having more of, and I know that is happening. And apologize if this is redundant for you, but uh, I don't think it's so commonplace as we might think it to be. I also think it's important for us to keep nailing it on the head. Look, like everyone needs to be speaking out about this. That's just something that that I believe personally is that every minority community, at, at the very least, has a way to encourage empathy and encourage action towards a movement that, as you said, Chang, is, is historic and is going to be remembered for years to come that we did this, that worldwide we marched for Black lives, that we protested, that we, we funded bailout funds, and that we called for police reform and for prosecuting policemen for murdering Black people. Like, People are going to remember this. This is going to go down in history books. You know, I was talking with a friend earlier today who's black and he just had a kid and he was telling me like, he's like, I don't want your apologies for not speaking out. I don't want your apologies for what you've done in, in your life or, or for ignoring this problem. Like, I want to make sure that we collectively will never need to apologize to our children. That's the apology that, that I'm focusing on. That's, you know, 20 years from now that we don't look at our children and say, we didn't do shit. That's kind of the goal I think we should be striving towards. This, again, is historic. It's more than just, hey, we have wronged you. Hey, this, that, and the third. It's, hey, can we change this now so it never happens again? Can we change this so that our kids live in a world that is significantly and quantitatively better than the one that we live in now? That they live in, under an institution that is a lot more just than the one that we're living in now? I think that should be our focus is that can we actually get together and call for significant and productive change to the system so that we don't have to apologize to our children? Yeah. That's good. I mean, obviously, this podcast, I hope, is for everybody. And I know that it may not be your cup of tea to listen to, and I hope that you you finished it. Uh, we have some uh, good podcasts. We're going to be back on the regular this week or next week. What's the schedule, Isaac? Monday? Yeah, Monday, the plan is to run the interview that you just did with Paul Carmichael, chef at Momofuku Seobo. And uh, that's it. 